Hello, my name is Jason Reichel, and you're listening to Risk Management Brick by Brick. I'm fascinated with people who are helping build and maintain the physical world around us. On each episode of this podcast, we'll dive in with a risk manager, speak to them about how technology plays a role in this process. Our guest for today's episode on Brick by Brick is Ann Grubish, a risk manager at Krauss Anderson. With over 12 years of experience at KA and over 30 in the field, and has a deep understanding of risk management strategies and has been instrumental in the development and implementation of effective risk management frameworks with KA. Anne is known for her analytical skills, attention to detail, and ability to communicate complex problems. This is a really good interview. She gives very practical advice for the modern risk manager. I really enjoyed my time. Let's get to it. Thank you, Anne, for joining me on Brick by Brick. It's nice to see you. I like to start every episode with a similar question because we all know that the journey to risk management is not the same. How did you end up in that room where you're at today? What's the story? Well, I have a degree in economics and mathematics. I actually started in the banking industry. I worked for two different Federal Reserve banks and a small commercial bank in my hometown in Wisconsin, decided to try my hand at insurance. And so I started with Prudential. And then I got into the property casualty side of life. I was an insurance agent. I've also worked as a customer service rep. And then I spent some time at Travelers Corporation in the underwriting and actuary side. And after that last nasty, I call it economic apocalypse, that started in 2008, 9, 10. I lost my job and I was looking for something else. And I found a smaller role with Krauss Anderson Construction, who I was familiar with. And so I started as an insurance compliance coordinator. I would look at insurance certs, things like that. And I worked my way up to into the current role that I have now and became more of a risk manager, assisting all of our project management team, upper management with managing our subcontractors and their insurance. That's my biggest role is dealing with that. That's how I got into it. So from financial to insurance to then working within insurance underwriting, that is a path that I've seen people take to get to where you are. When you ended up in the construction company reviewing those certifications, those COIs, what things do you think are important to make sure you get right about that review process. We have a lot of risk analysts who listen to the podcast, essentially doing that job right now, maybe under a risk manager, a part of a broader team. Maybe they don't even have a risk manager, but they have someone reviewing those COIs. When you think about from where you started to where you are now, what advice do you give to people who are reviewing COIs as their primary function? I want them to understand, first and foremost, what a COI, a certificate of insurance, actually is. It is mostly a document that says this person, this insured, has insurance with these companies, these types of insurance, the basic main four, general liability, automobile insurance, employer's liability, everybody likes to call it work comp, but you're actually seeing their employer's liability, and then also an excess umbrella policy. That certificate does not automatically give you any kind of rights or coverages or anything like that. You need to ask for and get some of the endorsements and documents that are part of their policies. So I cannot stress that enough. It just 
some people like to say, oh, well, I'm the certificate holder. Well, unfortunately, that doesn't mean much. It's a mailing address. That's what that is. It doesn't mean squat. You have to look at the first two parts of the top of a cert. It'll tell you that in writing. If you translate it to English, it means it doesn't mean squat. That is something that I cannot stress enough to people who are not knowledgeable about insurance, but just to understand that. How much risk, this is something that I talk about all the time with my team, which is the full packet. Like some people collect just the COI and go, okay, they're compliant with no supporting documentation. So that's one element you're talking about. But how about this camp that exists in risk management, even in the profession that I talk to every day and that you're part of where they go, "Uh, COI is not that important because we have it in the contract. So we're covered. Do you feel like collecting that COI and closing that loop is the due diligence of a risk program of that contractual risk transfer to ensure that's happening? Or why not just go, well, it's in the contract, so I don't need to worry about it. I mean, yes, your contract might state that the insured is supposed to carry these or the, the subcontractor, whatever, is supposed to carry these coverages. They should have them. It's in there. But if they don't have it, they don't carry it, they don't show proof of that, you don't even know where to begin to, say, file a claim against it if you didn't get a copy. You don't know who their insurance agent is or their broker. You don't know what carrier they're with. You know nothing. You don't even know what their limits are. If it's still in force, you don't know anything. So yeah, you need that. And then going to the... So I'm definitely in that camp. I I believe that that it shows due diligence on the part of the business who is hiring these subcontractors that we do check for this. We do value this. And contractually is one thing, but then actually showing proof that you followed up on that is the second part of it. It's like the handshake and then making sure before someone gets onto a job site that they actually fulfilled their obligation. You could sign a contract saying, I know I need to have this and then not go get it. And it might not even be malicious in any way because you can sign a contract and say, I don't have this right now, but I'll get it to do the job and then never actually go fulfill that obligation. Correct. And so risk managers, a lot of my... Yes, I have the title risk manager, but I do a lot of compliance checking. I like to simplify it and say, okay, no compliance, no money. (laughs) If you're not in compliance with me, with our system, you're not getting paid as a subcontractor. It is that simple. And I mean things like not just insurance certificates and things, bonds, signed contracts, silly things like that. Yeah, right. We look for all of it. So yeah, so that's an even an interesting point because so many people look at it as just COI tracking and not obligation compliance. I mean, what things do we, uh, we say that you're obligated to provide in order for us to pay you? And I think that drives to a further question, which is how so many people are doing this role in organizations, especially smaller construction companies or property management companies or whatever, who have no real understanding of insurance, Right. How much of a risk is that for a business to have someone who with no real insurance experience checking COIs? Like, aren't you taking a lot of liability in that case? They are because they don't know what they're looking at. They don't understand it. They don't understand the policies behind it, whatever. Even if they get endorsements that I ask for, things like that, they don't know what they mean because they're written in insurance, which we all know is a foreign language. And some of us speak fluent insurance. That's yeah, right. people like me. I've been in the business 31 years. So I know how to read them and I translate it into English every day. Taking this back to your original, you said you went to school for mathematics. 
Do you feel like collecting the COI and making sure you have all those elements is like showing your work that you have the contract and then you've like, is that a dumb metaphor or is that a metaphor that actually works and sticks through? It's due diligence. It's crossing the T's, dotting the I's. Did they get what we told them to get as far as insurance goes? Does it meet the requirements? And again, I can't stress it enough. If we've got folks out there that are collecting these themselves or whatever, ask for these endorsements. If you want to be the additional insured, you better make sure that they put those endorsements on their policies because they could say, they could even say on a cert, oh yeah, you're covered. And then it never got done. You want the proof. Right. So one of the things that we try to tackle with technology is this idea that COI is a moment in time. And even if you're assuming good intent, people can lie on COIs. And I think historically people have lied on COIs. But let's pretend that everyone's using good intent. If a job runs six months, someone might have insurance day one when they show up on the job site, but may not have it day 100. How are you running compliance checks? Are you running those compliance checks on an ongoing basis to ensure that that information is still accurate? How do you manage that? And what best practices do you recommend? We are asking, and a lot of general contractors will ask for this, to be notified if those policies were to cancel, non-renew, whatever. We want to be, it's called a third-party notice of cancellation endorsement. I want to see that. I want to be notified. And so I do get those and I look at them just to, and I babysit them. I stay on top of those. So that's part of the endorsement request. Like you recommend that you part you in the endorsement that you're notified. I either want to see it on the cert or show me the endorsement. However, the agent wants to roll with that. Because some agents will not put wording in the section called the description of operations. You're telling me they're going to go to insurance jail or something, federal prison. If they put things on that cert, which isn't true exactly, they can't put things on a cert that aren't true. You can't lie on there. <laughs> if they have the coverage, you can list it. If they don't have the coverage, don't put it on there. I think that's a simple rule about whatever. We won't get into that. <laughs> but anyway, so I asked for that. I want to see that. And I also see a lot of the work that Krauss Anderson does. We call it construction managed. We have clients, and a lot of them are the K through 12 schools, which KA is one of the largest builders of that in the nation. So we manage the jobs for our school districts. They hold the contracts with these workers. We don't, but we help them manage that. I refer to us as the ringleaders of the circus. We make sure the clowns get their work done. So I manage those certs for them, and I look at what the owner wants to see for limits and all that happy stuff. Make sure they come to me. We manage that, and if they're expired. Is that a consultative process? Like if you're working with a school district and you think, wow, this is not normal what they're requesting. This is lower or higher. Are you giving that feedback as part of that risk management program? I am not because that's a slippery legal slope. I see. We don't want to be giving them that advice because if we gave them bad advice, they can come gunning after us and say, hey, you told us to do this and that didn't work out and blah, blah, blah. And we're coming after you to help pay for the bill. Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense to me. So when they're doing this, I want to go back to endorsements for a second. So I know you're managing on behalf of a client, but for those who are working within a company, maybe where they're managing for the company that they actually work for only, I find so many people don't have a view of all the endorsements they've accepted or all of just different, all the acceptance that they've done over time. Like, 
we all know it's like a risk appetite. Some organizations are willing to take on more risk or say that they're willing to ignore this element of what they required. How do you manage all of those exceptions you've made over time on behalf of a client or that you recommend that someone might, how they might manage it? Right. So as a risk manager, I look at because again, I'm talking construction here, but we look at what is the subcontractor doing for a living? Are they bringing in window treatments and hanging them up, making it look pretty? Okay, now it's dark, now it's light. What is the probability? Because I'm going with back with some of the actuarial time that I spent, cut my teeth on that. What is the probability of a large loss of a nasty claim based on that? It's probably small. Now we have the... HVAC, the mechanical workers, and the probability of something going south there is a lot bigger and it could be nasty. So I take a harder stance on making exceptions on, say, the HVAC person as I am, Brenda's blinds that is going to, and it's a small contract, it's a couple windows. Yeah, it's not as hefty of requirements in my mind. But I do always work with upper management. They don't let me just say, okay, that one, I'll give you a pass. You, you, you. I do have to work with management. I advise them. I advise them on probability of loss, what we think is a low risk, high risk. And I've had to earn that trust working here. And after 12 years in the business, I can say (laughs) that they take my word for it. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, that's great. So you're talking a lot about these probabilities and all these other elements. Mm-hmm. How does technology play a role in your job now versus maybe even 12 years ago when you started? What is the role of technology and where did you want to see that technology landscape evolve as it relates to COI tracking, as it relates to broader risk management category? Where do you feel like we're anemic and where do you feel like we're headed in the right direction? Well, I'll throw this at you. When I started with Krauss 12 years ago, all the certificates were on paper and they were filing them on paper. And I had just an Excel spreadsheet that kind of helped track it. And I came from agency side, whatever. And hey, we're going to get you into the 21st century here. So I started a new program with scanning and storing things that way. And then we got a better agency management system, technology, that had a better way of managing, storing, updating the like expiration dates, policies, things like that. Yeah, that played a huge part. It's vital. It's absolutely vital because you could go crazy trying to do it any old school kind of way. Yeah, so technology is very important. I know that some firms have gone to outfits where they use AI to scan documents to decide, hey, this is good, this isn't whatever. They have me and I'm still looking at them because I'm the human, I'm reading it, I'm going, okay, that's good, that isn't, no, yes, no, yes. But yeah, it's going to be important. And someday, 11 years from now or whenever, when I retire, Krauss Anderson might go that way and say, okay, we're going to do certs a different way. We don't have an and anymore, so let's do this. As a person who runs a company who has extraction tools, who has AI, I will tell you that the human reviewing that and also telling the system what is allowed and what isn't and flagging that, it still comes down to a business decision a human has to make. Yes. And so a lot of these technologies that try to extract the human element from this 
misses that without some risk, we wouldn't have any business. And so it has to come down to a business decision, right? And everything we do is risky. And so it's presenting that information I, where I think segmentation, technology can be good at that. I don't think that in this industry specifically, technology should play an automated role of automating the person out of that factor because it's that factor, that human factor, that that experience you have, the probability experience you have that really allows one business to be better at risk management than another business, right? And yes, technology should back up that stuff. I would love to download your brain and be like, for your system, this is, you think this is going to be okay, but Anne, is it really? Like that is, I think, a good use of technology. I think technology went a little too crazy in the early 2010s of like, well, we're going to disrupt this whole industry and we're going to replace all these people with automation. And that's just not really how this business is done. It's a human to human business. The one, even if you classify people into these guys are both plumbers, these two plumbers are not the same, right? Like, and their track record and their experience are not the same. And so those are all decisions that have to be made or should be made, in my opinion, at a human level. Yeah, you still need a human to analyze. By the way, I jokingly say my parents named me Anne for a reason because I analyze everything. <laughs> I analyze. Yeah, you need some eyeballs and you need some common sense too. The AI works in this box and doesn't morph around it or change and whatever. And sometimes a human has to do that. One of the things that I am trying to advocate with this podcast and in general is the idea of the modern risk manager, the risk managers that are coming up today and are coming into a world where technology already exists. They don't remember that everything used to be done in files, right? <laughs> Old school things, yeah. How do you transfer your knowledge to that new generation? What are the processes that you think are critical in order to really bring up that generation appropriately? Yeah, it'd almost be like a mentorship thing. If somebody, if a younger person is serious about, and I think they should consider the insurance industry, there's going to be openings because I'm the last year of the baby boomers, 64. We're going to start to retire. And it's a good field to be in. Your insurance is not going away. We will always need it. It's there for a reason. It helps pay for catastrophic problems. And it's a lawsuit happy world we live in. And that's not going away. So yeah, find a mentor. Reach out. We're out there on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to. If somebody reached out to me and said, hey, I would like to learn more about it. Yeah, sit down, whatever. Um, Take some classes. They can do that. because, And then they can bring their ideas about the strong technology background that they have because they've been doing it since practically birth, bring that in and morph the changes. Yeah, I really think it's a partnership in that sense. It's been the thing that risk managers are most concerned about, which is that the talent pool of young risk analysts coming in or risk managers coming up just are not really there across the board, even though insurance is a industry that's a little bit, doesn't really matter what the economy is doing outside there. It's a good industry to be in for lots of reasons and it pays well. And it's really interesting. Like it pays to be curious, right? It pays to have cross-disciplinary experience like you mentioned. You ask questions, whether you're a broker, whether you're an actuary, whether you're an underwriter, whether you're a risk manager, you're asking questions, you're digging into stuff. Sometimes almost a detective. I love that. Yeah, that's how I always think about it. That's what's appealed to me about it is like it's people who are drawn to it are naturally curious. They're naturally analyzers. And that's been so exciting. When I first got into this industry, coming from technology, pure technology, it didn't seem that interesting, to be quite honest. It seemed like, how could this be interesting? And then 
when I got into it and I started to understand how curious these people were and the questions and the, the fundamental problem of risk management in this whole industry is you have to be creating the opportunity for the businesses to be successful at the same time as protecting the business. That's a yin-yang situation, right? Yes. Everything matters. Every decision you make matters, which so many jobs, that's not the case for. Right. You can't stop them from, oh, don't do this job. Don't do this business. I mean, there has to be a balance there. Yeah, it's a fine line, but yeah, I get it. My last question, I guess, is how do risk managers... Because traditional, even traditional risk managers have been doing the job a long time. If you ask some of their project managers, some have a reputation of like, oh, if it's over in that department, that's good. they're going to slow down the project. How do you mitigate and become an ally to the other departments as someone they rely on versus someone that's slowing down the process? I think the key it has been for me because I wasn't as familiar with the construction industry. I was familiar with lots of different lines of insurance, but not necessarily construction industry, is to get to know the industry that you're in, that you're managing as well as you can. Get to know a day in the life of the project managers, what they're dealing with, these acronyms and unusual phrases that they were throwing at me. Like, here's a funny one. They were dealing with something called micro piles. (laughs) Okay, yeah. I'm picturing back then I had a Pomeranian dog. I'm picturing my yard full of micro piles, fun ones. Yes. Okay. I got it. Yes. That's not what they laughed. Okay. And that's not really what a micro pile is. It's something else that they use to help level a building. Oh, okay. So get to know what these things are. And then you can think about, okay, what is the probability of a bad claim? Because that goes south. What besides the main four insurances that I talked about, sometimes they need to provide pollution insurance. Ooh, there's a fun topic. Or contractors' professional insurance, which they hate to buy and it costs a lot of money, but goddamn glad they have it when it's there. So get to know your industry. Get to know a day in the life of the accountants and what they're dealing with. My PMs, that has helped me out a ton. I think all the advice you gave today is so valuable. It all centers around two thematic themes that I see, which is like understand your role and your job and those relationships within that. And then use this outside. Like the thing I love about risk management is it's both an internal and an external job. You have to be tied into what is the risk that this might happen? Maybe it's never even happened at this organization, but I can't just use my organization as the template. I have to understand this outside thing and trying to bring those two forces together. And I think you've outlined a beautiful way of thinking about both of those as being equally important. Yes. And a little nugget I'm going to throw out there because you mentioned kind of who your audience is here. I cannot stress this enough. Read the freaking contracts. RTFC. You can use another word for the F in there. I don't care. (laughs) We will. Yeah. Read the contracts, please. Read the contracts. I'm going to go judge Judy on you. It's in the four corners. Read them because I get a lot of that. These subcontractors, they'll just sign away, DocuSign, okay. And then I'm the angel of death that tells them, hey, guess what? I need this and you didn't supply it. It might cost you more money and yeah. Well, thank you, angel of death for joining me on Brick by Brick. (laughs) And I hope to see you around soon. So thank you for joining me. I really do appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate this. Risk Management Brick by Brick is brought to you by TrustLayer. 
find out how TrustLayer manages risk so that the people can build the physical world around us, head over to TrustLayer.io. And then make sure to subscribe to Risk Management Brick by Brick on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. On behalf of the TrustLayer team, thank you for listening.